You know, there comes a time right before you take off on an airplane where they make the announcement that the flight attendants are going to move through the cabin to make sure that all the bags are tucked under the seat and that your seatbelt is fastened. They've got to do the final checks before takeoff. And at this part of our story in the life of Joshua and the Israelites, we're about to take off. They're about to conquer Jericho. But before they do, we've got to take a break and make sure that we are focused on some of those last-minute checks. You know, in Joshua 5.1, it says, Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. So Israel was ready to go. The kings of the other countries were starting to fear them, and it would have been an easy temptation to go ahead and start the siege. But God had other plans for them. The Israelites had considered the challenge. They had crossed the river. They had celebrated God's provision, but it was important for them to center on God's ways. So before they sieged their Jericho, it was important for them to step back. And Joshua had a message for them, a message that said, before we can go after and conquer our Jericho, We've got to make sure that our hearts are right. We've got to make sure that we're aligned with God's ways. And so that's what we're going to look at as we go into Joshua 5. But before we do that, let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for the chance you give us to just stop and reflect on the fact that our hearts are broken, our hearts are sinful. And before we can really experience the joy of conquering our Jerichos, We've got to make sure that we are walking in your ways. And for some of us, Lord, sin in our life is our Jericho. And so this is our chance to stop and think about what we need to do to make sure that we have clean hearts and clean consciences so that we can serve you and walk with you in a way that really reflects your glory. So help us to do that as we get into your word. In Christ's name, amen. So before the people are ready to go after Jericho, Joshua brings them together and gives them a really challenging command. It says in verse 2, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now, this is a painful command that the Lord gives Joshua. You have to remember that for 40 years the people of Israel had been wandering, and it says in the text that those people who had been a part of that journey had not been circumcised to date. But before God wanted those um, Israelites to be able to get into the promised land, he knew it was important for them to go to, through that process of circumcision. So I want to think about what does that mean for us today? Uh, there are a couple of principles that I take from this. Number one, it's important for us to stop and make sure that our hearts have been circumcised, our hearts have been cleaned, as we think about the ways that God would use us as we consider the challenges that are ahead of us. And I think there are a couple of principles to keep in mind as we look at how this plays out. You know, number one, the process of cleaning your hearts, the process of circumcision was painful. As you go through the sin in your life, and some of it may be habitual sin, going through that process of really wrestling it down, and thinking about the ways that it has invaded your life, or maybe the ways that you've continually come short of being able to deal with that sin, it's painful. It brings back a lot of memories. It unearths a lot of feelings. And that process of cutting it out, 
of making sure that we're peeling it away um, is one that creates this sense of pain. And I just want to ask you, as you think about dealing with sin in your life, have you gotten to the point where it's painful? And it seems to me that if we haven't done that job of sitting down and peeling away our hearts, peeling away that sin, that we need to get on our knees and really spend time thinking about how we deal with some of that sin and what we need to do to clean our hearts and to repent. So clean hearts can be painful, but going through that process of circumcising our hearts also has to be pointed. And what I mean by that is it's so easy sometimes just to say, Father, forgive me of my sins. Um, and he does. He forgets our sins. He takes them away from us. But I have found in my own life that unless I sit down and I go through the specific sins in my life that I need to deal with, I have a much harder time dealing with them. And what I mean by that is it's important to sit there and kind of reflect on where are the areas in my life where I have fallen short? Where are the areas where I have struggled with sin day in and day out? And call it for what it is. Call it for when I've dealt with jealousy in a way. Call it out when I've dealt with lust in a way. Call it out when I've dealt with some of the things that are very specific to my heart at that time. And I just want to ask you, do you have time in your prayer life? Do you have time in your quiet life where you're sitting there and going through your day in a way where you're able to say, God, there have been so many instances in my life where I have fallen short just within 24 hours. And I'm going to call sin what it is. And I'm going to be very specific and pointed about that sin that's in my life. So cleaning our hearts is painful because we have to wrestle it down. It's pointed because we need to be very specific about it. But I think it's also perpetual. You know, I thought about the fact that um, after the Israelites had been circumcised, I guarantee you that they didn't want to have to do that again. But we've got to go through a process of circumcising our hearts, cleaning our hearts every day. It doesn't uh, just happen one time. And what I've found is that important process of keeping short accounts with God, taking the time to regularly confess sin, uh, daily looking at the things that I need to deal with in my own life, bringing them to God, repenting, that's the way that I walk in step with him. And it also makes sure that I understand the ways that sin has this tendency, if I don't deal with it, to really creep into your heart in a dangerous way. And so... The process of circumcising our hearts, the process of going through that cleansing has got to be perpetual. It never ends, day in and day out. And, you know, one of the things until we reach glorification and we go to heaven, I think it's something that we constantly need to put in our kind of uh, toolbox of things that we're doing as we build our spiritual disciplines. Are we taking that time to cut out sin? Are we taking time to really go through that process of circumcising our hearts? Um, and what's interesting to me is if we jump down to verse 8, it said, And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Well, I'm glad they did that because I know that process was painful. Um, but I love the fact that God gives us this picture, that if we're willing to go through this process of going through the painful steps of dealing with our sin, going through the pointed process of pointing out what are the things in my life that I need to deal with? And then perpetually doing it, that he will bring us to a place of healing. That's such a great promise to me. So the people of Israel, before they were able to move into their Jericho, had to make sure that they, in a very open and in a very direct way, dealt with the sin in their lives. 
we've got to do it as well. And we've got to make sure that as a part of this process, we give ourselves the time to be able to deal with that sin and then find the healing that God provides. So that's the first step of it. But one of the effects of also centering on God's ways is that we have a regard for his commands. Because before they could go into Jericho, let's look what he does next. Uh, in verse 10, it says, On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Forty years ago, the people of Israel had been led out of Egypt. And God gave very specific, very direct commands for how they were to commemorate the Passover. And when you go back and you read some of the specific rules that he gave to the people of Israel of how they were to celebrate that first Passover and how they were to celebrate it going forward, one of the gifts that I think God gave the people was this gift of order, very precise rules, very precise commands about how they were to celebrate the Passover. You all, I'm so grateful that God gave us those commands, not only in the aspect of how we should think about um, living out some of those Levitical laws or those rules in the Old Testament, but God's word is full of commands that give us the gift of order for how we ought to live our lives. And some of those commands are at odds with the culture that we're in today. A lot of those commands feel out of place in the world that we're in. But I just keep going back to the fact that I return to those commands. I cling to those commands because in a world where there is so much disorder, I find the gift of order that God gives us through his word to be so compelling. And it really provides rest because it allows us to be able to reflect on ways that we can live our lives that are in line with what God would have us to do. And so when we feel that tension in our lives about going against the grain of culture, going against the grain of society, I'm grateful that we can go back to God's word to have a very clear and very direct way for us to be able to deal with those things. So I just want to ask you, when you feel that tension in your life, when you feel like some of God's rules and some of his commands are kind of out of fashion or they no longer apply to me today, are you finding yourself going back to God's word and being grateful for the fact that it's clear that he has a sense of how he would have us to live. And that way of living is as practical and as relevant today as it was for those Israelites who were celebrating the Passover 40 years ago. So the rules themselves provide a gift. But what's great to me as I look at this is that God gave the people of Israel a direct reward um, after they came out of the Passover. So this notion of the manna stopping the day after um, they ate this Passover is really interesting to me. They followed the Passover. They celebrated it one last time. And then God stopped that manna, that gift that he had given them for 40 years as they wandered around the, the desert. And after they had followed his ways, he rewarded them with this notion that from then on, they would be able to eat from the produce of Canaan. 
And what a neat promise for him to give them right before they dealt with the Jericho. Not only had he shown that he was with them when he allowed them to cross over the dry river, but he was already telling them that they were going to be able to enjoy the fruit and the blessing of Canaan even before they had gone and marched around Jericho. I think we get the same promise as we look at the commands that God gives us in our lives. If we're willing to follow them, will it be hard sometime? Will it feel like we have to, again, rub against that grain of culture? Yes, absolutely. But if we're willing to stand up for the word, if we're willing to stand up for the commands that God gives us, I believe he's going to give us a reward. And that reward might come in security. It might come in a way where we can be confident and rooted in our values. That reward may be in the way that we have real principles that we can pass on to our children and to those around us. But look for the ways that we experience the blessing of God and the reward of God if we're willing to claim those promises and those commands that are in his word. So, so one of the results, right, of centering on God's ways is obviously this notion that we have clean hearts because we go through that process of dealing with the sin in our lives. One of the other results is we have a regard for God's commands and the ways that he would have us to live. But the third thing that we are allowed to benefit from as we look at centering on God's ways is we have a deep reverence for him. So one of the things that we find as we go to verse 13 is it says that now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. And he asked him, What message does the Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Before Joshua went to Jericho, he had this encounter with God that reflected the need for and the importance of reverence of God. And there are two ways that I think we prepare ourselves to conquer our Jericho by dealing with that reverence. The first is the posture that we live in. You know, when Jericho had this encounter with the Lord, he fell face down. He recognized that he was in a holy place. And I just want to ask you, as we start to prepare ourselves to deal with the Jerichos in our life, even when we've staked out the challenge, even when we've started to cross the river, even when we've celebrated God's provision, and even when we've dealt with the, the sin in our lives that prepares us to be able to do it, are we doing it in a way where we still feel it's in our own strength? That it's up to us to be able to deal with those things in our lives. It's up to us even to deal with the sin in our lives. Well, it's not. The posture that we should have is one where we recognize that our ability to conquer those challenges that are in front of us are only because we know that God is the one who goes before us to be able to do those things. We have to live in a posture of reverence, a posture face down to recognize that God is the one who goes before us to be able to get us ready. And it also, as I read this story, helps me reflect on the fact that if we're going to be able to be centered in conquering our Jericho, we not only have to have a posture of reverence, but we've got to be in a position where God is. You know, Joshua had that encounter with the angel of the Lord in a very specific place. And 
I just asked myself as I was studying through this, am I at a place where I am near the Lord? Do I find myself in circumstances and in situations where I'm in a position to be close to God's holiness? I really want to be in that place. I don't want to be far off. I don't want to be trying to conquer my challenges in a place where I don't have access to being close to God. I want to do like Joshua did, take off my sandals and recognize that I'm on holy ground because I'm so close to where the Lord is. And we do that in different ways, right? We do it by being in his word and seeing how he's moving in our lives. We do that through our moments of prayer. We do that through surrounding ourselves with people that will point us to the place where we can be close to God so that we can move. But I just want to ask you, what's your position today? Are you at a place where you're so close to the Lord that you need to take your sandals off, that you need to recognize that you're on holy ground? Are you outside in the camp? Are you trying to do things on your own? You're trying to do things in a way that might not line up with God's way. And what I would say to you is before we get the charge to be able to go in and siege our Jericho, We've got to be able to be in a position where we're right next to God to be able to do that. And, you know, I just I love the fact that as I think about life, this notion that God goes before us, just like the ark went before the Israelites as they crossed the Jordan, that God's behind us. He's got our back as we move forward. He's around us, right? He's surrounding us with his protection. And in all of those ways, I see how God is just near us, but we have got to make sure that we are in a position where we take advantage of him being close to us and that we take advantage of that proximity to him to be able to live a life that really glorifies him. So we're going to go next week into this question of taking the challenge and beginning the process of marching on Jericho. But before we do, we just need to stop. And I want to ask you, are you centered on God's ways? Are you really taking time to wrestle down that sin? Are you circumcising your heart? Or have you become numb to it and just said, there are some things that I can't deal with or I don't want to deal with, and I can just wait to do it. I want to encourage you today to go through that painful process, that pointed process, right? That perpetual process of cleaning your heart. I want you to look at God's word and think about the commands that he gives us and use that as a way to be able to order our march into Jericho. And then finally, get close to God. Make sure that you can feel him. Reach out to your heavenly father and be in a place where you're so close to him that you know that you're on holy ground. Because without that, any march to Jericho is not going to be successful. One of the things that I appreciate, though, as I look at this is we can do all of those things. And, and sometimes when I, when I think about how we center on God's ways, it's easy to start to think that um, it's all in our own power. But I'm reminded of the verse in Isaiah that, that reminds us, right, that our righteousness is like filthy rags. We can fail in this every single day. Um, we can fail in this as we try to live in a way that is aligned with what God would have us to do. But the great good news of the gospel is because of Jesus, even in our failures, he does it for us. He gives us um, the ability to live with hearts that have been cleansed by his sacrifice on the cross. He allows us to stumble sometimes when we center on God's ways because he went before us and was able to give himself as a sacrifice for the sin that we fall into. And, you know, he brought us to the Father. He went to the right hand of the Father. 
And as a part of the great gift that he gave us, he suffered, he died, he rose again. And because of the beauty of that gift, we don't have to worry about getting ourselves, jostling our way into God's presence. He did it for us. And so we can always be grateful and always be thankful for that gift that helps us remember that Jesus is the way that we prepare to go to Jericho. All of my fears like Jericho walls gotta come down, come down.